0: Welcome to another Busting Brackets podcast. I am Brian Ralph, joined by my co-host, Connor Hope, here to break down the final four of the national championship game. Virginia finally gets over the hump. And, Connor, what was one of the most boring championship games I have ever seen?
1: Generationally unsexy. <laughs> so
0: boring oh my god
1: (laughs) i think people went into this expecting it to be a boring game not remembering that last year's game was a 17 point blowout um
0: yeah and just because teams are really good at defense doesn't mean that they're suddenly bad
1: well well, but they're not just good at defense i mean virginia was what top five on offense and texas tech had one of the best offenses from what mid-january onward i mean they they can both score it's it's
0: they, weren't, they make they other weren't,
1: teams look boring is what they do.
0: Exactly. They weren't brand names. They weren't I, yet. I, I think that they could eventually become brand names, and I have an article about that up on BustingBrackets.com about the fact that I think Virginia and Texas Tech and a few others could be the teams that kind of run college basketball the next decade. You, you ruffled some feathers with that article, though. That's kind of the point. <laughs> we'll say. That's kind of the point. <laughs> but... Their their offenses were good enough. Their defenses, because they weren't brand names, because of how good their defenses were, that became the story about them. Because nobody cared to really watch them, yeah, and care about how good they were on de- on on offense.
1: Yeah, I mean, people were surprised that uh, Virginia started off so hot from three, and I was like, Virginia was a top five yeah. student <laughs> team. The entire season,
0: <laughs> just yeah, it's it was one of those things where ignorance of the crowd that doesn't follow college basketball all season long comes in and they're like, "Where's Duke? Where's Zion? Where's Kentucky?" And
1: I just, you know, they got plenty but, of Zion in one shiny moment, so they had that going for them. Oh
0: my goodness, I, you kind of expected that, though. I I honestly expected more. I was kind of happy with with what they did. <laughs> um, but let, let's break down that game a little bit outside of the joking. I was, I was a bit surprised at how much success both offense both teams were able to have scoring the ball simply because of how good the defenses were. I, I know we just kind of got done make, making fun of that, but I expected the game to be you know, maybe in the 60s just because of the limited amount of possessions that were going to be in the game because of how, how the slower pace both teams play. But the fact that Virginia was able to score 17 points in five minutes in overtime and finish with 85 and Texas Tech scores 77 against Virginia's defense when nobody scores 77 against Virginia and no one scores 85 against Texas Tech. I thought that was really surprising and I think kind of paved the way for what turned out to be one of the, the better championship games that we've seen in recent memory.
1: Yeah, and I think that if you look at, especially Virginia's offense, um, is kind of the perfect offense – to to counter Texas Tech's defense. They they move the ball well, they shoot the ball well from 3. Um they're patient, they don't really turn the ball over much. Uh, they're I mean with the exception of of maybe DeAndre Hunter although he played he played pretty well with his, you know, back to the basket and getting into the paint. Um, they don't drive the ball a ton, so they cut down on those charges, they cut down on those turnovers, they hit their shots from 3 uh, and Texas Tech too is one of those teams that can can kind of did a, did a reasonably good job of, of countering that pack line defense.
0: There was a lot of – I was very happy with this. There was a lot of DeAndre Hunter, Jarrett Culver one-on-ones on both ends in the second half, and that I thought was awesome uh, just from a, a basketball fan standpoint. This, this year's draft looking forward is essentially a three-man draft with Zion, R.J. Barrett, and John Morant, but I think there's a legitimate case – that could be had for Culver and Hunter being number four, number five taken.
1: Yeah, and people are gonna to point to Culver's performance, poor shooting performance yesterday, but I mean he had one of the best defenders on him pretty yeah. much at all times. So I wouldn't take too much away from that. I mean, they they were still tied uh, at the end of the regulation and you know, they get a, a few calls to go their way and and it could very easily have been Texas Tech, you know raising or cutting down the nets, raising the banner. So, you know, I, I was impressed. One player that really impressed me was Francis for Texas. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, he he averages, he averaged, what, less than seven points a game and uh, shoots over 50% from the floor for 17 points uh, because his team needed him to do that, um, especially since both, both sides that, were going a little bit smaller.
0: That was the thing with the Texas Tech team, too, since since January when their offense really picked up is the fact that outside of Culver they go probably seven or eight deep so you have six or seven guys in the rotation and all of them in that stretch at different points have stepped up and produced in a way that Francis did in that game Kyler Edwards has done it in the past Matt Mooney did it in the final four game Davide Moretti has done it like everybody stepped up and played some significant role in their offense at some point over these final two months and Francis setting up in that way, and even Edwards finishing, I believe, in double figures as well, put them back in that game because for a while it looked like Virginia was just going to r- run away with it.
1: Yeah, no, for sure, and and Texas Tech's, uh, you know, comeback was was pretty good. I mean, it, it made the game exciting. Um, so I, I, it's it's disappointing. I think that the there are people who didn't get to see it because they listened to the media's narrative about the game. And I think the other thing that's a little bit disappointing is that even though I didn't think it was all that controversial, um, the use of replay at the end to kind of, they got the call, right? Which I think is the most annoying part is that they got the call, right? But it just felt wrong. Um, not to take anything away from Virginia people saying that there's they should have an asterisk on their championship are crazy but the fact that two games in a row for Virginia people are going to point to controversies to try and take away from their championship is kind of frustrating
0: people hate Virginia that's that's the bottom line they hate the way they play and they, they it's made them sort of the team that's easy to root against because that you don't want to watch them play their slow, methodical pace, even though they gave you one of the best championship games of the past decade, decade plus. To me, too, the, the thing is none of those calls were necessarily outlandish or, no. or, or wrong. You want to go back to the Auburn game. There was that missed double dribble, but half a second before that, they missed an intentional foul on Bryce Brown that may have played a role in wide Ty Jerome double dribbled. So you have two missed calls in the same play. That kind of cancels out. The Kyle guy three he got fouled on that – and sent him to the free throw line for the game-winning free throws was a foul, and a lot of people are the same are saying you can't call that there. The guy affected the shot, ran it, in, ran into guy, didn't let him land. That's a foul. You have to send him to the line. That affects a shot at the end of the game. Virginia wins. Auburn kind of messed up in that spot. That's okay. That happens. Virginia moves on. It's not necessarily in a satisfying way, but it's what should have happened. And as you mentioned in, in the the Moretti play in overtime. Hunter knocked the ball away from him, and, and every playground in America, that's off Virginia and Texas Tech's ball. But when we have replay, we can see it went off Mredi's hand last. And, it, and to me, people are still t- saying it was inconclusive or didn't touch him. It was for To me, it very clearly touched him. And I don't yeah. know how you can debate that. The one call you can, you can maybe say is that when Kyle Guy tripped over his own player when they were mm-hmm. down three or his teammate and, and took Tech touch him, that's the one play. I think in this whole Virginia sequence that gets talked about that you could really have a legitimate gripe about. But there were several plays in there too that went Texas Tech's way. But no one wants to point to that because Texas Tech lost.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that my only – I guess it's not even a gripe. Um, I I think that any year you look at the national championship and the the teams that play, they're going to have some clear calls that went their way. I mean that's just how – Uh, any sport really works. Um, I think that, especially on that, that Kyle guy three, where he got fouled, if you're going to make the argument that that call shouldn't be made, then you have to accept the fact that if you don't want that call to be made, defenses are just going to start running into shooters. Right. And so you have to make that call to prevent teams from intentionally fouling, know that knowing that. The foul's not going to get called.
0: Right. And you, people are saying that because you don't want a, a game, any game, but especially a game of this magnitude, decided by free throws. And from a pure entertainment standpoint, it's very understandable. Kind of anticlimactic. But this foul has to be called. And for a guy to make three free throws in that spot with all the pressure that's that's on him and to not even really touch the rim on any of them, that was impressive.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That was impressive. I, I, I think the – I find this with college basketball fans a lot. I think we we fi- try and find a reason to be mad a lot of times.
1: I think you have uh, that with no. any sports fan, really. That's true.
0: Yeah. College basketball college basketball refs do need to improve a lot. Let's, oh, yeah. Let's not get that, let's not get that wrong. But I, I don't think this is the time or the examples you want to use as your case for why there needs to be a major improvement in that area.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you point to – what, two years ago where there was an average of like 42 fouls through the NCAA <sighs> tournament. I think that was too much. They, they were calling mm-hmm. it too tight. I think you can point to cases in this tournament where they called it a little bit, maybe too loose. Um, yeah, but, but then tightened it up at the end of the game, which I don't think is, is necessarily fair either. Uh, if you're going to call it loose, call it loose. If you're going to call it tight, call it tight. Uh, but none of that takes away from the fact that the teams that won were the teams that played better during those games. Yeah. Um, so, and I think it's a testament to just how experienced and, and motivated this Virginia team was. Um, and I think it's also a testament to just how good a coach uh, Tony Bennett and Chris Beard were. I mean, Tony Bennett took a team that, you know, could have easily, easily lost it in the first round after they were put, or in the second round, I guess, after they were put into the same situation they saw themselves in the year before. Um, but they came back and then they, you know, beat some tough teams, some hot teams uh, to make it into the, the uh, championship game. And, you know, they, they, they had to run through, I think, what was a gauntlet of perhaps the hottest teams in basketball in Oregon, Purdue, yep. and Auburn. While you could argue that Texas Tech had to play what was a gauntlet of perhaps the toughest teams to mm-hmm. beat in basketball. Um Outside of, you know, they, they didn't necessarily have to play Duke, but Michigan State is a great, uh, excellent team. Mm-hmm. Gonzaga, one of the top offenses in the country. Michigan – I think when they're on, they're really tough to beat. Um, I think their loss was a combination of them not being on and the fact that Texas Tech was just better. Yeah. Um, you know, they p- played pr- probably the best mid-major in the country in Buffalo, so they they had to run through some some solid teams as well. So you c- you can gripe all you want, but both co- teams had to beat the best, and they did.
0: Texas Tech held their own. I, I think the Michigan State game, we talked all tournament long about the fact that we thought Michigan State's injuries would catch up to them at some point, point. and I think they did in that game against Texas Tech's defense because they didn't have the explosiveness on offense that they needed to be able to, as you say, outscore the other team. They just they they didn't have the capability to, to truly threaten Texas Tech's defense and make them do anything Texas Tech didn't want them to do. Right. Kind of a deal. I, I think that became very clear in that game. I agree with the coaches as well. I think Tony Bennett and Chris Beard are two of the best coaches in the game, period. And I, I think that showed itself with the way they handled their teams through the tournament and some of the, the plays they drew up, how they handled situations, how they tinkered with their lineups. I know this is particularly validating for Tony Bennett, given everything that's he's been criticized for with their style of play, uh, not being able to win in March, et cetera, et cetera. What do you think this this tournament championship means
1: uh, for him and, and for the Virginia program? I think that Virginia has had an an issue recruiting. Uh, not from the standpoint of they don't get good recruits. I think it's from the standpoint of they're not going to be able to recruit against the Dukes and the North Carolinas in the ACC. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that necessarily changes, but I think that it opens up an avenue for players to realize that this program can win um, even if they don't have all the stars. Mm. So, I think that it validates Tony Bennett's coaching style. I think that he definitely had this reputation of not having a style that can win in March. Uh, and obviously that was wrong. I think that uh, particularly this year, uh, his ability to coach on the offensive end, or or at least the, the, the success of his offensive schemes were better. Um, and, and, you know, it just valid. I mean, there is no doubt. Even when he was at Washington State, Tony Bennett was an excellent coach. Oh yeah, and I mean, he, won, he, he won at Washington State. How many coaches
0: yeah. have won at Washington State?
1: None. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, I think that it it, give, it validates him in a way where now people don't really have anything to criticize him about.
0: Right. I mean, he'll always have that loss of the 16th scene on his resume, as will Virginia, but that will always be followed by and then win the national championship the year after. Right. And so there's always going to be that validation when the worst part of his career gets brought up. I think Chris Beard, he he may not be on that Tony Bennett truly elite level yet, but I think he's getting close to being in that top tier of coaches in the country. And I think this year went a long way in proving that considering how many guys they lost from last year's team and the way he rebuilt and got the most out of this group so quickly. Do you think he can keep Texas Tech relevant nationally, or is this just maybe a good two-year stretch and it will start fading back into the middle of the Big 12 a
1: little bit? My guess is that they'll they, – I, I, I'd say this. I think that they'll take a step back next season. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll, they'll lose Tariq Owens. They lose Matt Mooney. Uh, most likely they lose Culver. But I think that this success and this string of success – Getting to a national championship game will allow him to get, you know, one or two of those top one hundred guys moving forward. Um, and if they buy into his defense mm-hmm. and provide him a little bit more of, of an offensive explosion than he may have had heading into this season. I, I mean, I think Texas Tech is is going to stay as that team that's going to be right up there with Kansas at the top of the Big 12. They will take a step back, but I think that they'll be, you know, they'll be at the top of the Big Twelve for for as long as Chris Beard wants is there.
0: Yeah, well, they're supposed to take a step back this year too, right? They're picked Mm -hmm. seventh in the Big Twelve. I think they have some guys who can step up and improve uh, and kind of take over that Jared Culver role. Because remember last year Culver was a starter but was essentially a role player behind Keenan Evans and Zaire Smith, and this year became a a likely top five, top ten pick. We could see similar development from Kyler Edwards, other guys on the, on the roster that are kind of uh, developing under Beard are going to get bigger opportunities next year. I agree. I think they'll take something of a step back and maybe uh, finish second, third, or maybe fourth in the Big 12. But they're emerging as a legitimate second team to Kansas, I think, in the Big 12. And you look at the state of Texas, they're the team in the state of Texas right now. And if you're a home state kid who wants to stay – Say relatively close zone because Texas is ginormous and it kind of depends yeah. where you are in Texas. But if you're a kid who wants to stay in state, I think you look at Texas Tech and, and they're I think now much more appealing than going to a Texas or even an AM, a rebuilding effort that they have going on there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that Austin, UT Austin is always gonna be the top recruiting destination in Texas. Yeah. Um, but I think that Texas – I think that Chris Beard has done something that I n- didn't really think was possible, which is making Lubbock yeah. a, a good recruiting destination. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely agree. I think that if you're looking for the best program and the best run program, you're going to be looking at Texas Tech. Um, mm-hmm. If you're just looking for that name and that you know, atmosphere and everything, you might lean Texas. But if you're a kid that wants to buy in to playing – Chris Beard's defense playing, you know, team basketball. And, and really, I mean, both teams, nev- not other than Culver for stretches for Texas Tech because they needed him to be that guy, none of these players, like if you were to ask the average fan who they were, yeah. I mean, they couldn't really identify them. No, not at all. That, I think that
0: speaks further to Beard's ability as a coach and to develop players and develop talent to be one great defenders and and two capable offensive players as we saw and get the most out of them and that that certainly can't be overlooked especially as you mentioned when he's coaching in a place like Lubbock that is not a traditional recruiting hotbed recruiting destination it's Chris Beard looking looking back on this now Um, there were a couple coaches that won all the different coach of the year awards this year would you name him as the coach of the year this year?
1: I don't think you can name anyone else. I mean, um, yeah, I just can't think of anyone else.
0: Yeah, I, I liked Kelvin Sampson for it with what he did at Houston this year uh, before the tournament started. But if we're going to take the tournament into, into play, I had Chris Beard as a close second to the Sampson before the tournament started. But if we're going to take the tournament into play, it has to be Beard. It has to be Beard. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same way Zion is the slam dunk player of the year for everything. I think if you look back on it now, Beard's got to be that coach of the year for for everybody in that in that, that same kind of way. I,
1: I like what Sampson did, but again, Sampson was picked to be towards the top of the American, and Rick Barnes for Tennessee was picked to be towards yeah the top. The
0: and they were six in the country in the preseason. They're top yeah. five in a lot of places. Like, eh.
1: but nobody gave Beard and Texas Tech any sort of you know credit heading into this year and not, I mean, it wasn't unfounded. And that's, that's what I think is, is the, the best part is that, you know, it wasn't like we just overlooked them, you know, they legitimately had question marks pretty much everywhere. How would Matt Mooney adjust to playing in the big 12 as opposed to the summit, you know, Tariq Owens had his own set of kind of issues outside of shot blocking at a St. John's. Um, but they both stepped up and made big plays, especially in the tournament for that uh, Texas Tech team.
0: I think we can safely say that they're probably the biggest surprise of the season. I think that's, that's safe to say. If we're going to take them out of that conversation, though, uh, you can include NCAA tournament results uh, if you'd like, but who do you think outside of Texas Tech had the most surprising year of any team in the country?
1: Good or bad? Let's do both. Let's let's okay. start with good. We'll start with good. Most surprising, good. I hesitate to say. I hesitate to say Baylor because I thought that they were good entering the season, and then they looked bad, and then they looked good. Um, but I think that the the fact that they got into the tournament after such a rough start was surprising to me. I would probably say Louisville. I know that, that that loss to Duke really just threw them out of whack. Uh, but I, I think that them even getting into the NCAA tournament was not something that I con- really considered entering the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, surprising for me, I think, most surprising team in, in a negative way was Nevada.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, everyone was talking about how they had all this experience, all these top elite scorers, these these players that could put them in the top 10, and a coach who's coached at the NBA level um, and, and had some solid Nevada teams the previous years. And they just never clicked together, never. I mean, they were winning at the beginning of the season, but it didn't look pretty and it didn't look good. And then teams started to figure them out in the Mountain West, and it it just unraveled from there.
0: There were a lot of warning signs that Nevada team, uh, who I picked in my preseason Final Four, which now looks spectacular. <laughs> uh, I, I certainly thought they were one of the biggest disappointments as well. You have to include Indiana in there yes. as well. I think expectations for them were were very high. Start of the season, looked like they were going to validate those when they started twelve and two. And then they went on that stretch where they went 1-12, won one of those 13 games, and it was just an utter disaster and ended up getting – somehow they were still alive for the tournament going into the, the Big Ten tournament. But there was no way um, I think anybody saw that kind of season from Indiana coming in our tubular second year.
1: I tell you what, if you had asked me that question on March 1st, my answer would have been a team that now I would not even touch. Um surprisingly bad. If you had asked me on March 1st, I probably would have said Auburn. Yeah. Well, that's Um, the
0: thing. Like middle of February, they were a bubble team. Yeah. And and it wasn't that they were necessarily losing close games. They got wrecked by Kentucky by 27 points. And they hadn't beaten a good team. They lost at NC State in a pretty convincing fashion in the non-conference. Hadn't won any SEC game of meaning. And then they suddenly
1: flipped the switch like that. Yeah, I mean, and the same could be said for for Oregon, for that matter. Um, Just the fact that, you know, if you asked me on – well, I guess Oregon did beat uh, Washington to end the season. But other than that, if you had asked me on March 1st uh, who the most disappointing team in the Pac-12 was, I probably Mm -hmm. would have said Oregon. Uh, And then they managed to win that championship and won a game, two games, in the NCAA tournament, so – Yeah, I do
0: want to give some credit to Houston as well. Um, I don't know how many people were expecting a lot out of them this year. I know people thought they would be good, uh, even though they lost Rob Gray from from two seasons ago and at least be competitive at the top of the American, but nobody necessarily thought the American was going to be that great this year. And for them to finish as a top-ten team with less than a handful of losses I think spoke volumes about the job Samson did as a coach and, and kind of the program as a whole that he's, he's built down there.
1: Yeah. And I think that another team that you have to give credit to uh, in terms of they were, they entered the season, people thought they were going to be good, but they took their bumps and and people kind of lost a little bit of faith in them. You and I included, I I think that you have to give it to Michigan state and Cassius Winston. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh yeah. Because they went underwent a couple of injuries, had similar actually worse bad losses than Duke did, but their role players kept it together better than Duke's role players did.
0: Yeah, Is it did a great job watching Cassius Winston go from a good college player with Miles Bridges kind of as the clear cut top guy to Winston being the clear top clear cut top guy and doing everything for that team. Was really impressive to watch this year, and and I hope he was back for a senior season because he's not going to be a first round pick. And I think Michigan State could be a lot of fun to watch next year with him kind of leading the way. Uh, but that was that was really impressive for me. Who else would you say was maybe as a from a player perspective your most surprising uh, had the most surprising good year, and then a player who you think really disappointed.
1: So this isn't someone that I thought was that surprising. I kind of went into the season knowing he might be the best player on the team. Uh, He was my preseason Mountain West player of the year two years ago before he transferred. But I think Brandon Clark kind of came onto the scene and introduced himself to the nation um, in a way that he couldn't at San Jose State. But if you had watched him at San Jose State, you would have seen that he <laughs> he was a six eight player that plays like a seven footer um, And then in in a bad way, I don't know if it's surprising. I don't know if he re, I mean he didn't underperform just a player that everyone seems to love that I can't stand as a player is Ethan Hap. I, I think that he's he's he, I mean, he is the only player at Wisconsin, mm-hmm. but if your top player can't play in the last two minutes of a close game.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's tough. I, I understand the Hap love from the perspective of the fact that without him, Wisconsin would not have a winning record, let alone be an NCAA tournament team. He, he did so much for them, and he has his flaws, but was able to, to, uh, to do everything for them really and keep them as a top 25 team, which I think next year could be really, really rough for them mm-hmm. without him. But I'll, I'll go somewhere else in the big 10 and I'll, I'll stick with the Indiana theme for disappointing. I, I was expecting a lot out of Romeo Langford this year. And I think he's a big reason why Indiana did it kind of come up with the season. A lot of us thought they were going to have um, just from a freshman perspective. He I have a tough time believing he's going to go in the lottery now, where he was a surefire top five pick beforehand. He just he never showed me anything that wowed me. He's a very good player, but I don't think elevated the play of the players around him and never made me I have a hard time saying it. he didn't impress me in a way that I wasn't expecting. He mm-hmm. wasn't someone you watch the game and you go, "Wow, that guy's really good." never did that for me. And that was just something that was kind of interesting, at least for me. And I think biggest surprise, Jarrett Culver. Yes. I mean, to not only be as good as he was individually, to make that jump from being a role player to being the clear-cut best player of the Big 12, to elevate the – the play of everybody around him to take his team from being what they thought they were going to be to a national championship runner-up team uh, is huge. And I don't think – I think we kind got of to take that for granted now because he introduced himself to everybody in that game against Duke in December that they lost in Madison Square Garden. I think that was the game where everybody kind of went, holy cow, the Shark Culver kid came out of nowhere. He, he kind of became a no commodity after that. But going into the season, nobody had any real expectations – of him being
1: anything remotely good. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that uh, on the Romeo Langford thing, I think that there were a couple freshmen that kind of underwhelmed me. Um, Cam Reddish comes to mind.
0: Oh, this year's class was not great. Reddish – Reddish, yeah. Reddish is probably one of my biggest disappointments in general just because he didn't do anything. Nope. And that that was – For a a top three recruit, you'd expect him to have something of an impact. And he had some good games, but he was mostly a a liability when he was out there.
1: Yeah, and I mean, there are a couple couple others that I was expecting a little bit more from. Now, some of them, it was understandable because they kind of got pushed out of the rotation. Um, Tayshaun Cherry for Arizona State kind of comes to mind, Uh, I think. Entering the season, people were talking about him a little bit more than Dort, but...
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Javon um, Quinterly as well at Villanova, who was -hmm. supposed to be the guy, and is now no longer there.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Villanova. I mean, you knew they were going to take a step back, but they just... They never really looked good all season.
0: No, I consider this season a huge success for them, considering the fact they won both Big East titles... Um, and won a game in the tournament. I, I know people thought they sh- could have gone to Sweet 16, uh, but running into that Carson Edwards Purdue team,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you were going to lose when you just give up 42 points to Carson Edwards.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I mean, from that perspective, I agree with you. I think that where where it it gets a little bit dicey is I think that entering the tournament, yeah. people's expectations of them were a little bit too high.
0: Yeah, uh, if you go back to the fourth season, what they I think what they did was better than anybody could have expected from them, uh, especially going back to December and you're coming off a loss to Furman at home,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: then you lose to Penn too. I think if you if you we would have told somebody after that Penn game or after the Furman game that this team was still going to win both Big East titles, they would have laughed and called you crazy.
1: Which speaking of the Big East, I have another one for underwhelming team, Saint John's. Yes. Um I know that Chris Mullen quote stepped down. No, Um, he didn't. I think it was more of an (laughs) assisted resign. Yep. But uh it was a push down the stairs. They wanted to save face. I I I mean you're never gonna get away with firing a fan favorite player um as a as a coach that quickly, but Mm. I think that uh he I mean people were pointing when I you know during the whole uh Mike Miller to UNLV uh discussion when I said you know point me to a successful you know player who went straight to coaching college basketball from you know playing uh not really having any other coaching experience before that people were pointing out Mullen and I was like Mullen had good players and underperformed in pretty much every season he coached yeah
0: (laughs) I I will say with Mullen though Uh, it's it's absolutely he absolutely underperformed and and should have done much much better with this group but when he took over the program four years ago they were kind of in shambles kind of like they're going to be now that he's gone and whoever takes over is going to have no players left on the roster with everybody who's going pro and transferring basically they took over basically nothing and improved the team's win total every year and he did underperform this year there's no doubt about that but Finding somebody who's able to do that and gradually improve a program every year is hard to do. And yes, he again underperformed. Not saying he should have kept the job of that. He did a good job, but I also think it wasn't the complete and total disaster that people want to portray it to be.
1: No, no. I mean,
0: it was it was a bad job, yeah. but it wasn't a disaster.
1: To me, it's almost as if he was showing a little bit of that Lorenzo Romar you know, can get the top players but not can't necessarily right. put that into action um, because, yeah. I mean, Washington was bad some years, but they weren't terrible most years. They just didn't necessarily perform to their, right. you know, NBA pedigree players. Um, and
0: then they won, like, two games with Markel Fultz back when Markel Fultz could shoot and yeah. the wheels fell off.
1: Yeah, well, I'm convinced that Markel Foltz, if he's not the focal point, uh, just it doesn't have the confidence at that point to really play. I think that's part of his issue.
0: Yeah, that Well, this is a different topic. I think I, I think there's this really interesting – he's basically hurt. He basically has a nerve in his back that is shot, and uh. they're reworking it. And Basically, that was why his shooting form suddenly changed, because mm-hmm. he couldn't raise his arm above his shoulder.
1: Yeah. Okay. That,
0: that, yeah, that, that makes it hard for you to shoot, and it was something that – uh, it seemed like the Sixers didn't diagnose. Mm-hmm. And I think I, there's a, I read a rumor, just a rumor that he was trying to hide it from them because it happened in an ATV accident over the summer.
1: Well, which
0: not a good look going in the rookie season. No, but anyway,
1: yeah. I, I want to
0: look ahead to look ahead to next year. Now, mm-hmm. um, we've talked about teams that teams and players that were surprising and disappointing this year. Who are you looking forward next year as maybe being that team to beat that enters the season as, as number one or number two in the polls or as a national championship favorite?
1: Uh, assuming Cassius Winston stays, um, I'm kind of on board the Michigan state entering the season as the top team in the country.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um because I think that they just showed – I mean, their their players showed that they were there to play. Uh, and if Cassius Winston is there at the point running that team, I don't really think that there's any other team, at, at least at this point, yeah. that has really shown me that they are deserving of kind of pushing Michigan State off that spot.
0: They're only losing two guys and Kenny Gilwins and Matt McQuaid, both of whom played good roles for them but weren't anything um, – that Michigan State couldn't play without. They're going to get Joshua Langford back healthy. Mm -hmm. Nick Ward is going to be fully healthy after being nicked up all year. The injuries this year allowed freshmen like Aaron Henry and Gabe Brown to play significant and meaningful minutes in a way that they weren't expected to this year. Mm -hmm. I think that's all going to help their development for next year. And plus, uh, Michigan State has a couple of top 50, 55 freshmen, I think, that are coming in that will kind of help round out that rotation – still so we'll have a little bit of a hole inside i think which i'm sure is a we'll find a way to shore up they may be playing small more this year but with the way winston is playing and the way i expect langford to play when he comes back there i don't know how you could have anybody else i agree i don't know how you could have anybody else at number one
1: yeah i mean it, assuming that only hunter leaves i could see an argument for virginia um yeah, I, I
0: I think Jerome might leave because he's kind of a borderline first-round pick. Um, and I think if he goes, there's a chance a guy goes. To me, it seems like Jerome and Guy are kind of tied at the hip.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and that's why I'm saying, like, assuming it's only DeAndre Hunter. Right, right. Like, I could see that. Um, I don't even want to get into Gonzaga draft speculation, but uh, I think Everybody's that – yeah, I mean that's what I'm speculating. I think that yeah. you're gonna lose Rui, you're gonna lose Brandon Clark, and I think Tilly's probably gone, um, considering how loaded that front court is and the fact that he can't really help his draft stock next year. Uh, so I think he should probably take what he can in in Europe and, and work that way to try to get into the NBA. Um, but sure. assuming even even if Tilly is back and Norvell and Kispert stay. I think people, I, I think people are either too high or too low on the Sags. I think that people are either overvaluing the fact that they don't have a point guard, and so they're keeping them a little bit too low. I also think that people are looking at Rui, Brandon, and Josh leaving, Josh Perkins leaving, and just assuming that those positions are going to be as good as they were this year. <laughs> um, yeah. I I would put them probably into that 16 to 21-ish range. Um, But I think that I've seen them in the top five, and I've seen them outside the top 25, and I think they're somewhere in between those two.
0: Yeah, I I could see the Zags around, around 20. I think that's probably where I would have them right now. One team that I think should be around five, that I may put around five that a lot of other people may not, is Louisville as you mentioned, had a really good year this year. A lot of people were surprised maybe a year ahead of what they should have been under Chris Mack. Don't lose a ton, lose some, but don't lose a ton, and are replacing what they lost and then some with one of the best freshman classes in the country. I could see them being a team that challenges at the top of the ACC and is consistently in the top 10 all season long.
1: Yeah. Them, I think another team that people probably aren't going to look at – that should be not necessarily top five, but should be considered for top ten, top fifteen is Oregon. Mm-hmm. I think that people are gonna look at the loss of Bull Bull and assume that hurts them, despite the fact that I he, didn't
0: have him yeah,
1: despite the fact he only played nine games. I yeah. don't think Louis King is gonna leave because I don't think he did enough to really push himself into that lottery mm-hmm. pick um position. And so they'll have Peyton Pritchard, they'll have Louis King, they'll have, you know, Victor Bailey, Will Richardson, uh, Kenny Wooten when he started playing more really took them to that next level and yeah. they have the top juco recruit coming in uh this season and, and a couple of of pretty solid 2019 freshmen so they they'll be probably the odds on favorite to win um the Pac-12 assuming Arizona is is still you know under that FBI Umbrella. I, I
0: like I like the recruiting class. I like Nico Mannion. I like I like the Green. I, I like those two they have coming in. But I don't know if I like anybody who's currently on the roster. And I don't know if I like Sean Miller dealing with all the off court stuff that he's dealing with. Like I don't I don't trust them to beat a team like Oregon, who is probably you know, going to carry that momentum from this late season push they made into a good season next year. Assuming they get everybody back that they're that they're assuming they're going to get back.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, the only player on Arizona currently that I would point to and and say, I really like the way he plays that is coming back next year is Chase Jeter. I'll say Chase Jeter. (laughs) I mean, he played well this year. He
0: he played, I think he played better than people were expecting him to, considering how just lost he was at Duke. Mm hmm. And and he he did he did play solidly, but I don't think there's that ceiling for him that people hope that there is.
1: No, I mean you know exactly what you're going to get from him. Yeah, um, but he was the only one that did impress me this year for Eric.
0: <laughs> it's it's it's, it's <laughs> tough trying to find one, but yeah, that's true. <laughs> one team I think that could kind of come out of nowhere and have a really good season, maybe pull not a not in LSU but kind of go from that off the radar to being a top 15 top 10 team having a really good year uh, is Georgetown I really like this Georgetown team coming back next year they're only really losing Jesse Govan uh, in the center James Akinjo and Mac McClung their two guards are both going to be back as sophomores and I would assume take take big leaps they improved a ton from the start of season to the end of the season Uh, Patrick Ewing I love him as a coach I think he's Proven himself, you mentioned the former players. He's somebody though who had almost two decades as an assistant coach in the NBA. So he's not somebody who's just coming in not knowing what he's what he's doing, and he's proven that during his first couple years there. I think they have the potential to really make some noise and be that breakout team next
1: year. Yeah, them or another team that I just can't can't really get a good grasp of is Memphis. Um, Yeah, they have a solid class. I want to believe in
0: Memphis.
1: (laughs) And that's why people were pointing to uh, Penny Hardaway and saying, you know, he's done well at Memphis. And I'm like, but has he? he I think
0: think they did better than they were expected, than was expected this year. Because this was essentially just a year to build towards a recruiting class and next season, which he did, he accomplished that goal, uh, but winning the amount of games that they did. And, and at one point in February being in NCAA tournament contention, I think was more than anybody expected.
1: No, it was more than anyone expected him, but I I, I just don't think that we can say that his, him as a coach is a true success story until he Yeah, no, no, no succeeds. one succeeds.
0: Yeah. I agree. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. Is there anybody going in the next season before we wrap up here? that you think is being overvalued outside of the people that think Gonzaga is a top five team? Uh,
1: I would say right now teams that I think are being pretty overvalued. uh, Gonzaga, I think is being overvalued. I think that I hate to say it. I think Marquette is being overvalued. Um, They're good. I don't, don't think they're top five. Good. Uh, Even, even with Marcus Howard, I don't think they're top five. Good. Um, who else? Well, I was going to say Michigan, but then they lost all three of their good players. So. Yeah, they're kind of – yeah. <laughs> I think uh, – I, I mean, Other than that, I awesome. mean, you can always say Duke and Kentucky.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, well, I, I think Duke is being – I think uh, Trey Jones coming back certainly helps them, uh, but he has holes in his game he definitely needs to work on. A lot of it depends on who else they land in this recruiting class as well. Same with North Carolina. Who, who they're able if they're able to land Cole Anthony, UNC is going to be fine. If they're not, that's when they could run into some problems. Uh, Duke's the same kind of way, I think, as the roster is currently constructed. They'll be a top 10 team, but I don't know if they're necessarily going to be that top five elite team we saw from them this year. And so that would be a, a team I would kind of watch out for. While you were talking about Marquette, I also want to mention that I think Villanova was way too low in a lot of these rankings. They – I know they, they're losing Pascal and Booth, uh, but all of their freshmen, uh, rest, the rest of their roster was essentially young players who are coming back outside of Quinterly, and they're bringing in another top recruiting class to add to that. I think we may see them have a really dominant year in 2020-21, so two years from now. But next year, I think, is where they lay the foundation for that and become somewhere in that 15-7 to 7 range for most of the season.
1: Yeah, uh, and I think two teams that are being – I don't even know if they're being – or three teams, I guess. That I don't know if they're being overvalued or undervalued. And and I like them, but I don't think they're top 25 good um, are the three other mid-majors that everyone loves, I, I, Utah State, St. Mary's, and VCU. Mm-hmm. St. Mary's has a pretty high floor, uh, but a very low ceiling. Um, yeah. I think that Jordan Hunter was – quietly one of the three most important players on that team. He didn't score a lot, but his presence and and ability to to defend, especially baseline drives was something that was undervalued and he's gone. Um, So I think that they can sneak into the top 25, but I don't think they should necessarily be expected to do that. Mm -hmm. Utah state is going to be the mountain West favorite entering the season. I think it's, it's that simple I don't think the Mountain West is going to be good enough to justify having them preseason top 25 no. <laughs> uh, next year. And then VCU, and, and with all three of these teams, I think everyone just expects the fact that they're returning all these players to make them take that jump. is going to be good. They're another one that's going to be good. But can we really expect all their players to just instantly become better the next season?
0: I, I, I do like Mike Rhodes as VCU's coach. Uh, and so I, I think in, in their case, it's realistic to expect a little bit of improvement, which would put them in the bottom part of the top 25, but to expect them to do anything other than be at the bottom part of the top 25 next year and be 25, 24, 23, I think is asking a little too much.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And speaking of, of coaches, uh, we had some more changes <laughs> McCrowland, uh, yeah. I mean, if, if oh UCLA God. hated boring, boring teams, <laughs> he's not. Uh, he's not making it to the end of that six year contract. No, he he's a he's a a stopgap guy that they can say, look, we made a a hire of a you know seemingly top level coach, um, and then after four to five years, they'll move on to another stopgap, and then move on to another stopgap, and and never really hire that big name coach because they're not a big name program anymore.
0: They have, to, they have to find somebody who is a bit – UCLA's perfect hire is somebody who has a big proven name, who has strong ties to the school or to the area, uh, and is proven. And that guy isn't out there.
1: Yeah. And that guy doesn't seem like he's going to be out there. Either that or pick a guy who's had success at a school in the area uh... – that's not necessarily, you know, that's smaller. So, so the expectations weren't as high, and, and the talent level mm-hmm. of the school wasn't as high. That's able to coach up, um, and can utilize the name of the school and his ability to recruit the area to his advantage, a la yeah. Russ Turner. But but they uh, do they
0: before. don't want to. They they go. It seems like UCLA goes more for the win the press conference more than win the game in year two. Yes, yes, and I
1: think that they also have an inflated sense of how much their program's name is worth yeah i would agree with that but some other schools knocked it out of the park um i think alabama hiring nate oats was a was a big win whoever Uh, hired nate
0: oats was getting a big win and so good on alabama for doing that
1: yeah uh i don't know there are some good ones i I
0: i like i really liked all of them in the sec to be honest, I, I like you like muscle
1: men? I'm not sure I like muscle men.
0: I don't know. I don't, I don't like the fit, but in terms of Arkansas, who are you going to get? That's better. True. You know, I think Jerry's tech house at Vanderbilt, another interesting fit, but who are you going to get? That's better. That's another former player with legitimate coaching experience. who's had success coaching. Who's going to bring some immediate credibility. I, I, I think to the program, I, I liked all those. I thought all, all four of them did as good of a job as, as they could have.
1: Yeah. And I'm just, I'm not sold on any of the outside of, I think Kyle Smith will meet expectations at Washington state. I was not impressed with any of the PAC 12 coaching hires.
0: Yeah. And they were all very PAC 12. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think UNLV had the best coaching hire of anybody on the West coast?
1: I think that's yet to be determined. Um, I think right now you can say yes. I think that whoever hires Mark Pope might between whether it's mm. it's BYU or Nevada, because both of them have been – he's been in unnamed uh, on both of their lists. But he should be on.
0: the guy.
1: Yeah. Could have an argument for it because I think Otzelberger – had the benefit of having, and Mike Dom, uh, yeah Pope, Pope didn't Pope Pope was able to compete. Now he never won, and I think that's where people are going to point to. He never won the whack, but he was able to compete with some top programs without that Mike Dom on his <laughs> roster.
0: Right, uh, he's somebody who needs a program like that to gamble on him to show how good of a coach he is. Right. And I
1: think BYU is perfect because they're going to get the same recruits they get no matter who the coach is there right. uh, just by, by the way their school is, is and, and recruiting is set up. So you give him those top recruits that BYU always gets and see what he can do in the WCC.
0: Yeah. Uh, I I'm look already looking forward to next year. It's only been, you know, a few hours really since the, this season ended, but, Already looking forward to next year. It's going to be a lot of fun. The landscape's going to change a bunch in the next couple months with recruiting and NBA draft decisions and some more coaching hires. We may see someone pull a crisp beard where he gets hired one place and three weeks later he's somewhere else. I was half expecting that to happen with UCLA, but it didn't. So <laughs> we're here. We'll be back every so often, every few weeks, keep you guys updated and break down all the latest that's been going on in college basketball during the offseason. You can always find us on Twitter and BustingBrackets.com as well for everything you'll need to know throughout the offseason to quench your college basketball thirst that we'll all need during these next seven months. Uh, So for Carter Hope, I'm Brian Ralph. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.